the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Welcome to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. I am Rob Walgate from the American Policy Roundtable, sitting in the chair of Bob France this morning and I'm honored in any time that Bob gives me the text or gives me the call and asks me to come in and sit in the chair and talk to his audience. Be with Johnny and Marianne. Good morning. Good morning, Rob. What's up? Looking forward to having a lot of fun today, that's for sure. And we want to do that by also by talking to Bob's audience, talking to you, the listeners. 216-901-0945. You can get in the action. Give me your thoughts. Let me know what you're thinking. We're inside of four weeks to Election Day, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about Election Day. I have, I have pages and pages of notes. I know we have roughly three hours to get through all of them. Will we? I'm not sure. We have a couple guests that are going to call in and join us and um, educate us on a few things, but there's so much going on to talk about, and I know yesterday's show was committed a bit to talk about the debate between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan. And I want to get into some of that, and I want to get into a little bit of the backstory, if you will, when it comes to Congressman Ryan, when it comes to his ascension in politics, and and just 
give my thoughts on it. I was I was a bit surprised in the debate on Monday evening. I I thought he would do I thought he would do better. I thought he would look more comfortable than he did. Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan. You would think so. I, you know. I I thought he would, but I have a few thoughts on on um why I don't think that happened. Why he may have appeared a bit flustered. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about um, a Pfizer exec testifying in front of European Parliament and some things they said and just make us scratch our heads. Some would say bounce our heads off the wall. So much going on, so much going on that, that we need to talk about. And we want to talk with you, 216-901-0945. But before we get too deep into the show, it is Bob's show. I'm sitting in, but it is Bob's show. And carrying with that tradition of Bob's show, we are going to start this show, as he does every morning, with the Pledge of Allegiance. America, join me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The Rock. I guess that's my own little spin on it. Uh, when we, when I have the opportunity to host, I always like to hear it coming from The Rock, and some have said, could he be a politician in the future? He's kind of hinted at He's that. He's been in the news lately uh, about that, about him running for president, and uh, I heard there was an article that said uh, some people are kind of against that now. Oh yeah, I think there's people on uh, all over the place on it. Again, where would he stand? What would be his position on the issues? Let's face it, if you don't come out with a left-leaning mindset, you're going to get attacked from the beginning. Yeah, and he's a Hollywood guy, so by by the no media, confidence he'd do anything good. Yeah, you're going to get branded and you're going to be pushed to one side. There's no doubt. So um, where would he stand on the issues? What would his positions be? Would he come down soft on things just to make everyone happy, just so he wouldn't be attacked? You never know. You never know. So um, I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing, and I, there's a number of things that Donald Trump proved to us, is that anyone can become president. That's true. But I think we've made a mistake in this country in – treating the president as a king, as that rock star, because at the end of the day, the president, they have power. Um, they have the ability to do things. However, we've made it to the point to where we look at that person to be the leader making decisions for each and every one of us every single day. And let me be the first to tell you, we need to have an understanding of who serves in authority over us and our neighbors at a local level, at a state level, at a federal level. And many times we get distracted by what's happening on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., and we can't we can't let that happen. So we're going to get into later today in the show, we're going to talk about iVoters.com. We're going to talk about the ability to help educate each and every one of us on the candidates and the issues in, that we will be making a decision on in less than four weeks. We are less than four weeks away. And let me say that I am coming at this, my approach, and I know this may be repetitive for those that know me, for those that have heard me on this program before, my approach is from a nonpartisan perspective. 
I am not registered anymore with a political party. I pulled my registration a number of years ago. Uh, The reason I did that was because of the way the parties treat others inside their own party. I, I mean, all you have to do is take a look at the presidential debates. Look at the way Republicans and Democrats treat each other who are in their own party when they share a stage with them. I mean, Vice President Harris basically insinuated that President Biden was a racist. She basically insinuated that in the debate. They just destroy each other, and the Republicans, too. The Republicans do the same thing. If I was a candidate running for office against, so if I would have been, if I would have been Donald Trump running against Joe Biden for president, one of my campaign commercials would have been, look at what his ticket mate says about him. It just played the Harris quote of her ripping in to Joe Biden. That That's what I would have done. So um, I, I used to be a re- registered Republican back in the day. I voted for Democrats as well. I still will. Um, obviously they have to align with the issues in which I believe, uh, the principles in which I stand, but I can't do it. Once I heard the Republicans running campaign commercials in a primary, one candidate against another candidate, they both were strong pro-life candidates, but they were running a commercial that would insinuate that one candidate was not a pro-life candidate. And, And that's not true. And that, that money was coming from the top. So, uh, that frustrated me. And I didn't see any benefit in myself being affiliated with a political party. I work for uh, the American Policy Roundtable. We're a media research and education organization. We have a radio program called The Public Square. You can hear that at thepublicsquare.com. We're heard also on a couple hundred stations across the country. And we attack things from an independent perspective. You notice I said we attack things. We attack issues. We don't attack individuals. We're not going to go after people. We're going to talk about the truth. We're going to let people know what's behind the agenda of an individual, maybe from votes they've had previously, maybe from positions they've taken, stances they've taken on the issues. Uh, we, we We will talk about that for sure. So anyway, the debate. The debate on Monday night, J.D. Vance, Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, someone that has served in uh, the House for roughly 20 years, the United States House of Representatives from the Mahoning Valley. Tim Ryan, I'm not sure about this United States Senate run. I'm a little surprised, but I think this shows the lack of depth on the bench of the Democrats to run for statewide office. I don't think when it comes to their candidates that, that people have heard of anyone. I don't, you know, have you, have you seen a campaign commercial for auditor or treasurer or secretary of state? Nothing. I, I, I don't know if I've even seen one for governor. Um, they understand that that would be the Democrats in this year, a waste of money. They've put all their eggs in one basket and that's Tim Ryan. My question for Tim Ryan would be, do you regret saying that you want to run for the United States Senate? Would you have preferred to run for governor against Mike DeWine? Because I think there's a lot of conservatives, there's a lot of people that are going to stay home and not vote 
for Mike DeWine. Especially well, against Mike DeWine, who, you know, is very uh, left-leaning as far as Republicans would go. You know, he might have a good chance against him. Very much so, but I think Tim Ryan in the debate the other night, um, this may be the first time in his political career that he is on the defense, he's behind in the polls, he's the underdog, but he also has ran in a safe district for so long where there hasn't been any challengers where you really thought, wow, they're going to they're gonna take him down, they're going to beat him. He's in the Mahoning Valley. He's in a district that had been, had been, had been pre-2016, extremely blue, always was going to vote for the Democrat. What's interesting to me is that in, you know, Tim Ryan, when he went to Washington, D.C., was a pro-life Democrat. He made a switch in 2015. I know that was hit on briefly in the debate the other night, but he wrote an op-ed in 2015 announcing his change. How does that work, uh, being a pro-life Democrat? I don't it, it it really doesn't work today. Is it more of like he says uh, abortion should be rare but legal and safe? Well, he had voted with National Right to Life. Um, se- the National Right to Life Committee had said he'd voted with them seventy two percent of the time in his first term in Congress. So he was he was um, a pro life Democrat. I think when you think of Democrats today and pro abortion, I mean we we saw. In the discussion with um, the candidate from Arizona, how she said, I mean, she wouldn't give a time frame on when you should say, yeah, uh, an abortion should not happen after this time frame. She wants to leave it up to the doctor and the woman and the mother to be. I, I well, I guess, I guess I may have, you know, I hate being snarky. I hate being sarcastic, but I guess I will be a little bit because. I said woman. Um, some would argue that men can get pregnant. <laughs> well, you never know these days. I, I mean, we've seen that. That So think about the arguments. Think about the discussions that, that we're having when it comes to that. However, um, Tim Ryan wrote an op-ed on why he changed. Um, he basically said, and I'm quoting here, and his 14 years in political office gave him a deeper understanding of the complexities and emotions that accompany the difficult decision that women and families make when they decide to end the pregnancy. While there are good people, rephrase, sorry, while there are people of good conscience on both sides of this argument, one thing has become abundantly clear to me. The heavy hand of government must not make this decision for women and families, end quote. Tim Ryan says there are people of good conscience on both sides of this argument. I would like to ask the folks at NARAL if there's people on both sides. There's good people on both sides of the argument. Where have we heard that before? With, with <laughs> how's he say it, good conscience. Would the people of NARAL say that? Would Chuck Schumer say that? Would the folks at Planned Parenthood say there are people on both? Would they say they're pro-life people of good conscience? Now, when Tim Ryan made this decision in 2015, a lot of people said he made the decision because he wanted to go after a higher office because they knew that if he wanted to be a United States senator, if he wanted to be governor, that he wasn't going to be able to do it as a pro-life Democrat. 
So they say that's why the change was made. He He's saying he was raised Catholic, and that was the reason for his stance in the beginning. And, and why am I spending so much time on this? Why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because I think it's important that we know and understand. It's amazing to me that someone on the left side of the aisle, the side that claims to be the party of science, they're the party of science. Well, if anything, if anything, in the last 50 years since Roe v. Wade, if anything science has taught us, it's that folks should be moving to a pro-life position based on the science. We can see in the womb unlike ever before. I had children that were born in 2008 and 2011. I remember the pictures we got. I know someone from the ultrasounds. I know someone that's pregnant now. They showed a picture to me of their child. The technology in the last 11 years. Yeah, it's almost like looking inside if you were there. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. I mean, you're like, it truly is amazing. But that's the gift of life. And where does that come from? And when I read that Tim Ryan said in 2015 on his switch, the heavy hand of government must not make this decision for women and families. I'm sorry, Congressman, but you believe the heavy hand of government should make every decision for families except for this one. That's my issue. You feel the government should be involved in every aspect of our life, but this one. You want to tell me what I must put in my body or what someone must put in their body if they want to serve in the military? What? This is where you're drawing the line? No, no. I take issue with that. I take big issue with that. I know we have some folks on the line that want to get involved in this conversation, and after the break, we'll do just that. If you want to be heard, 216-901-0945. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate with you this morning, and we're talking... Early on about the U.S. Senate race in Ohio, J.D. Vance, Tim Ryan, I kind of gave my, um, I guess, opinion would be a safe word on Congressman Ryan and what he has ahead of him, being the underdog, being the guy that's willing to fight uh, to go after that office. Um, and But I know there's some folks that want to weigh in. So, John from Chardon, good morning. Hey, hey Rob. Um, I disagree with you about Vance not doing so well in the debate. Um, <clears throat> oh, I didn't, I, mean, I didn't, John, John, hang on. I, I said that Ryan, if I, if I said Vance didn't do well, I, I meant to say Congressman Ryan. I think that's what I was getting at, that, that it was the first time he looked oh. at the underdog is the first time his back's been against the wall where he's been a tough race. Um, okay. you know, I'll talk in a bit. I, I thought, I thought JD Vance, he, he seemed calm. He seemed smooth. He seemed under control. Again, I wouldn't Absolutely. say he was the best candidate to be running in this race but um i thought he did better than expected after the first debate the question is john did anyone watch it uh well i watched it (laughs) 
So you know, I I, I don't I don't know. I, I think you'd have to talk to the pollsters to find find that out. But uh, yeah, so yeah, well, okay. I'm I'm glad we clarified that anyway. And of course, Ryan, by contrast, had to lie to make his points. And well, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, and I know we've talked about this before. Or Bob hit on it when you talk about everyone goes into debates. And you've got a line or two that you can you can depend on. And obviously, Tim Ryan wanted to use that line. He thought it would score points. And I think J.D. Vance responded, well, that was a well-rehearsed line or something to that effect. So yeah. you, you have to be willing to punch in debates, but you have to be willing um, to counterpunch as well. And, I, you know, I'll get in. At, at, when we come back after the break, I'll get into my thoughts about debates. I'll get into my thoughts about um, how they should be done or should they be done and I know there's a lot of, uh, well, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of debate about that right now. A quick comment about Ryan. The first thing he said right out of the gate was he was going to cut taxes. Well, you know, the thought comes to mind is, well, what services are you going to cut to do that? You know, what what are going to be the mechanics of your tax cuts? Well, and my question for Tim Ryan would be, my question would be, who are they going to go up on so that you can cut them? And why don't we cut spending? We don't have an income problem in this country. We have a spending problem. John, thanks for the call. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in the chair this morning for Bob France. And first half hour was consumed by debate discussion. Discussion on debate. Discussion on debate. I guess there's a few questions I have regarding that. And I'd be happy to take your calls at 216-901-0945. Is what is your expectation when it comes to debating should candidates have debates should they be i don't want to i hate saying forced to do it because that that sounds like i'm advocating for a law to be passed that says you must as a requirement and we have enough laws in this country i don't think we need more laws but i do think it's important that you understand and the voters can understand where folks stand on the issues and i think a trend is developing where fewer people are going to debate um we're seeing that in ohio i believe in the governor's race mike dewine i mean mike dewine's most likely going to win easily in november um i don't say that with a smile on my face not saying i want mike dewine to lose i'm just thinking about the previous four years of his administration and the COVID insanity and the regulations and the heavy hand of government and the fact that, again, and this could go right along with my rant about parties, if Mike DeWine would have had a D next to his name, the Ohio legislature would have done anything in their power to stop him from the beginning instead of going along with it, but instead the Ohio House of Representatives was embroiled in a scandal with the former Speaker of the House 
And it was just, uh, I guess chaos is a safe word. So that right there shows you um, that many other things can show you the detriment of allegiance to a political party. The founders warned us about this, warned us about the factions that would divide us as a country. And I think we, we see that every single day. We'll get into later in the show, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard's leaving her party and going to a different party. At least that's that's the plan from, from my understanding. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But when it comes to debates, I don't think Mike DeWine is debating Nan Whaley or that that's the plan. And I, I think this is kind of like in in athletics. You know, you think about you think about Ohio State, the Ohio State football team. If Ohio State, a D one powerhouse, right? If they were to say they were going to play, and they do sometimes, they play schools. We'll use Youngstown State, which is you know is a Division one school, but is not in the championship series of Division one. You know, if Ohio State wins by a hundred, people say, well, you're supposed to win by a hundred, even though I know I'm not being realistic. You're not going to win by a hundred points in football. But if they barely win or only win by 10, maybe win by 17, people go, ooh, ooh, that was closer than it should have been. But then if they were to lose, wow. I mean, some would say, some would argue there's no incentive to play that game because the only thing that can happen is a negative for the favorite. The only thing that can happen is something bad. And I think sometimes politicians view debates that way is – well, why would I debate and give airtime to my opponent? Because the only thing can happen is something bad. It's like a trap debate. Yeah. It's, and again, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying that politicians should avoid debates. I personally don't like debates a lot of time because it's, you know, it seems like junior high school. I mean, it's basically a bunch of, well, your mom this and your mom that. I mean, they just talk about each other and bash each other. And half the time, they're not telling the truth. And then the fact checkers aren't really fact checkers because they're not telling the truth. I saw PolitiFact did something the other day to fact check something and they justified why they were fact checking it in that way. And I'm I'm just like, my goodness. But I would love to see more, and we did this at the American Policy Roundtable, more non-debate debates, non-debate debates. How's that? You would bring in a candidate. We would sit here, we would ask the candidate questions. They they would have to defend their record. They would have to talk about what they were going to do. But they would not be permitted to mention their opponents or mention the other party at all. We want to hear what you're going to do. We want to hear you defend your actions from the past. I, as the, it wouldn't be a debate moderator because there's nothing to moderate. I guess I would moderate our discussion. But... It would be a way to communicate, and they would have to justify what they've done previously. And if they've never held public office, they can talk about what their intentions are, what they've done in their professional life, and how that would help us understand why they're going to do what they're going to do. Don't talk about your opponent. I don't need to hear about your opponent. Your opponent can come in and defend their record. So like town halls, kind of like we did with the In essence, a town hall, but you're going to have to ask tough, tough questions. Rick Warren at Saddleback Church in California did something similar to this. 
the Public Square Media Network, the organization I work for, we helped cover that forum on the presidency. It was between Barack Obama and John McCain. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of um, there's some conspiracy theories out there that one heard the other's answers before they went on stage and all that. And I think that's all it is, is a conspiracy theory. But that's what they did. They went up one at a time and they had the conversation. So you have to be able to ask the tough questions. But, I mean, do I want to sit there and watch people bash each other for their decisions? Tell me why your idea is better. I mean, and we've fallen into that trap in life. We think that stepping on others is going to make us go higher, and and it doesn't work that way. But yet all our kids are watching. I mean, listen, I was sitting on the couch the other night watching football with my son. There was a campaign commercial for J.D. Vance, followed by a campaign commercial for Tim Ryan. And he, my son looked at me, listen, my son has had, my son and my daughter, my wife, they have to listen to me ramble all the time, and they just can't turn the radio station. They're, they're stuck with me on a car trip and other things. They're stuck. So he's listened to me rant and rave, and he said, Dad, if all I hear on these commercials are why the other guy's bad, and you say um, that you don't listen to campaign commercials and you don't vote to, for someone based on the letter next to their name, based on their party affiliation, what, what do we do then? I said, well, you got to do a little homework. you got to do some research. This would be a plug, a shameless plug for iVoters.com. You have to put in the time, energy, and effort and understand. Now, for United States Senate candidates, it's a bit easier to know where they stand on the issues. For other candidates, you may have to dig a little deeper. You may have to go to their social media feed. You may have to take a look at what they've said. It's going to take time. They're going to serve in authority over us. We can spend a little time. We can spend a little time researching each and every candidate. We're going to go. We're going to go to to TJ in Cleveland. Yeah. Hi. Hey, TJ. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, hi, Rob. You know, about debates. The one thing I noticed. You know, people listen to debates, and you know, they listen to their own candidates. And they really don't believe what they're hearing, okay? They say, well, they're just saying that for a debate. But, you know, here's the danger of that. In the 2020 primaries with the Democrats, every one of them, including Ryan, were up on the stage, and they all agreed with open borders, killing fossil fuel, uh, killing fracking, defunding the police. And I'm sure a lot of these reasonable Democrats were listening to this and saying, ah, well, they really don't mean that. But they got in and they did it. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They I mean, sure did. They, they sure did, TJ. Here's the other thing debates do, and and that's a great, great example. Listen, Tim Ryan knew he had no shot to be president, right? We see it on both sides. We see it on both sides. We see people that want to remember the, the first debate they held in Cleveland in 2015, a year before the primary even started when they had down at, um, yeah, what's the building called this week? Uh, Gund Arena, Quicken Loans Arena, Rocket Mortgage. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I can't, I can't keep week, up with yeah. it. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Remember, it was like Thanksgiving. They had the kids' table and the adult table. That's what they had. They had a pre-debate and a debate. Anyway, all those candidates are doing, and Tim Ryan's the perfect example. And again, they do it on the Republican side. Tim Ryan is auditioning to raise money. He's out there to raise money because he wants the heavy hitters to hear what he says, 
to see him in action because he knows that could be one more rung on the ladder. It's an audition. So, TJ, thank you. Thank you so much for the call. There's so much more to get into when it comes to debates, when it comes to the races statewide in Ohio, and we're going to do that after the break. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate in today. For Bob France, first hour has been consumed by debate discussion. We're going to continue that discussion with John in Cleveland. Good morning, John. Thanks for calling. Okay, two things. Number one, we should never underestimate what's going to happen in politics. Strange things have happened. And uh, therefore, I think it's very important for Republicans to vote for Mike DeWine because we don't need a, I don't know what a woman is in the, in the governor's office. Okay. Okay. Two things, two things. One, um, I, I would ask you the importance, what would have been the difference on what she would have done? And I say she referring to Nan Whaley, if she was governor, what would have been the difference the last four years in what would have been done having her in office instead of Mike DeWine and understand the fact that the Republicans hold a veto proof majority in both the house and the Senate. So what could she have done that he wouldn't have done? Number one. And number two, I'll make the argument that it would have been all for this scenario. I'll make the argument that it would have been better to have a Democrat in office. Cause I think Republicans would have fought against the Democrat and fought for our liberties a lot stronger than they did against Mike DeWine. Well, first of all, uh, if you remember what Mike DeWine did, Nan uh, Whaley would have just doubled down, whereas the Mike DeWine it, it finally kind of backed off when he when when the, the when the real deal started coming up. She wouldn't have done that. No, but then you also have to remember I, that, no, he's, no. that he's pro-life. She's not. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Two things. One, no. Mike DeWine implemented a mask mandate in July, well after everything started, because he knew the House of Representatives was blowing up and they would not hold him accountable. I'm arguing that the that the House and the Senate and the dysfunctionality of the House is mainly what I'm talking about. They would have held a Democrat accountable for their actions. And when it comes to the pro-life measures, I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is the House and the Senate have a Republican veto-proof majority. They can do whatever they want. I'm saying if a Democrat would have done what Mike DeWine did, Republicans would have been turning over tables. Instead, they went along with it because he has an R next to his name. That's not acceptable to me. Uh, But are you you sure that we're going to maintain this... uh veto proof majority uh, republicans i don't know what you know uh, you know i don't i i don't i don't know and the, the other quick thing is that we should not underestimate tim ryan he's a formidable candidate and oh, I, uh, jd vance is uh, you know he's he's a, a first-time candidate and one of the things that really bothers me is that president trump you know said some said something bad about jd vance as a joke but it that that gave uh that gave uh Tim Ryan, a good, a good thing when he, you know, well, I need well, we need an ass kicker, not a blank kisser. Well, what, you know, that was that was bad. Well, I, uh, 
Yeah. Um, I don't underestimate Tim Ryan. Um, he's from the Mahoning Valley. Again, I think he's going to be a fighter, but this is the first race he's had where he's going to have a challenge. He's the underdog. I think he's running because his congressional seat was no longer going to be safe. He uh-huh. knew that he didn't have a predominantly uh, blue, heavily leaning Democrat area to support him and send him back to Washington. So he took a step out of his comfort zone. Um, and yeah. when it comes to J.D. Vance, I mean, in what Donald Trump said, I mean, Donald, listen, if there's one thing we know about Donald Trump is he's going to take jabs at everyone. He sure is going to take a jab at J.D. Vance based on all the things that J.D. Vance said about him through the years. That's yeah, but the, then he, he shouldn't do it when, he, when he's supporting that candidate and saying, hey, he's the man. Okay, you know? so yeah. you're, you're asking Donald Trump to not run his mouth. <laughs> I think right. it'd be easier. Very, I think it'd be fair. easier to have the sun not come up tomorrow. I mean, that's just not that's just not realistic. That's not the realistic. Last, I get what you're last, saying is it doesn't help, but it's not realistic. That that's right. his methodology. Last, right. And the last sentence for you, which is not a good thing. I'm having a difficult time getting a JD Vance sign for my front yard. You and, know, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I appreciate the call, and here's what I'll tell you about that. I know someone that was at a big event just kind of northwest at Columbus. There were counties that gathered together to have events. And I'm just reporting here. This Don't yell at the messenger. There was an event. All the candidates were there, statewide candidates, state rep candidates, state senate, local school board. Everyone had a table and sign signs to hand out. Everyone had literature. There was one candidate that didn't. It was the candidate for United States Senate in the state of Ohio. He came in, he talked for four or five minutes, and he left. That's the report I got, that there was no boots on the ground, there was no organization. Every person there was asking for a J.D. Vance sign. That's and, disappointing. And there were no signs to be given. How does that happen? Somebody's messed up. Somebody messed up. I mean, how does that happen? You know, call Peter Thiel. Get out the checkbook. How does that happen? I mean, this is a race that 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 people across the country are looking at. Listen, this is a chance to be in the most exclusive club in the world. The United States Senate's the most exclusive club in the world. I said to someone, well, Tim Ryan, as I mentioned earlier, I'm shocked he didn't run for governor and go after Mike DeWine. Maybe it's because Mike DeWine and Tim Ryan agree on uh, heavy-handed government policies. And he knows that he couldn't debate them because they'd be in agreement too much. But someone said, why would some, why would he want to be governor and have to work? The United States Senate, I mean, the club of 100. Look at how they get to act. Look at what they get to do. And it's up to us on who we put there. And, and the caller referenced Donald Trump giving a line and going after Jay. Listen, folks. I think we we've learned this lesson by now, and this isn't to bash Donald Trump. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some people that text me and say, "Oh, you're too hard on Donald Trump," and I'm gonna get other people that text me and say, "Oh, you talk too much about Trump. You 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 shouldn't give him all that credit." I'm just telling you, if there's one thing we've learned, Donald Trump loves him some Donald Trump. He's gonna talk about what he wants to talk about, and he especially. If someone took a shot at him and Donald Trump has had to be reminded 
of all the things J.D. Vance said. And I've had people come and tell me and say, you know, J.D. Vance was basically on the on the wrong end of both sides. He should have been on Donald Trump in the beginning before he got elected because of the things he was able to get done with energy policy, with the Supreme Court appointments, so many things he's able to get done. And now um, encourage him to ride off into the sunset. But J.D. Vance has been, he's been flipped on that. He wasn't with him in the beginning, and now he wants him wants him to hang on, and I understand why he wants him to hang on, because he thinks that that's going to help him get to the United States Senate. That's something we're going to talk about in the second hour. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. We're going to talk about his endorsements, whether you look at J.D. Vance in Ohio, whether you go a little bit east and look at Dr. Oz in the race that's there. I, I, I can't wait to dive in and have the discussion about the Pennsylvania Senate race. John Fetterman, Doctor Oz. Oh, Fetterman! What? No, yeah. thank you. What? Do you wait? I wait till you hear his history. Wait till you hear how his political career started. What his first elected office was, and how many people voted for him. You, you, you're going to shake your head. You don't think every vote matters? We're going to learn every vote matters. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back, Always Right Radio. Rob, I'll get in for Bob France today. And I guess it's time for a little, maybe confession time if you will I, I actually had to do a bunch of show prep today johnny because the last time or two i've been in i've cheated and i've brought in my boss dave zanotti yeah. ceo of the american policy roundtable and i know that when he and i are in a room together i mean we can take up eight hours talking i'm not worried about a ton of show prep. we're gonna get going wind us up and we can bounce things off each other so i want to thank him he's 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 out out and about traveling he can let us know the lay of the land across the country right now and what's happening politically. But I was able to grab him for a phone call. So, Dave, thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. Yeah, but now you're stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got, I've got time this morning. So, you know, who knows? You, you may have just lost the balance of the show. Sorry, Rob. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, we, we've talked so, a lot. Uh, We've talked. Hey, before we get started, wait, I gotta get. I, I just, I'm laughing here out loud because they just did a promo for WHK from like I don't know the 50s or the 60s. Now I wasn't there to hear all of the promos, but to tell you how long I go back with WHK Radio, and this would surprise a lot of people, is that WHK Radio was a talk radio station before talk radio station was cool, and uh, they've had all kinds of formats on WHK, but uh, it's one of the anchor stations one of the oldest stations in the Midwest. That's why it's got three letters. 
but there, I go the whole way back, and I don't even know if you've got anybody left listening on the station right now on Bob's show who would be able to remember Merle Paulus. But Merle Paulus was a very controversial talker uh, in Greater Cleveland. He passed away a number of years ago, and uh, Merle Paulus and I used to go at it. And uh, so I've been I I know WHK since when Merle Paulus was on the radio. Which means I'm now, instead of the youngest guy in the room, I'm now becoming the oldest guy in the room. So, Rob, Merle Paulus was on WHK long before you were even born. <laughs> well, being the oldest guy in the room, though, or almost the oldest guy in the room, that helps provide perspective. And I guess as we're inside of four weeks to Election Day in 2022, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And how is this different than a typical off President, non-presidential election year. Well, you've talked that you've covered a whole bunch of stuff in the first hour that I've been making mental notes on, which I'm going to try to let go of to stay in the moment of your question because you've you've just put all kinds of pots on the stove here. Well, you're you're welcome to go back to those too. We can stir those. We can go back there. They're kind of bubbling and boiling, and you've been asking big questions, really big questions. And I've got to sit thinking back since I've, you know, again, forgive me for, for playing the seniority game here. Uh, I'm actually kind of big time in your whole listening audience now because I've challenged anybody to know most Merle Paulus to call you. The problem is most of us have known Merle Paulus, but I can't remember where our phone is right now. But um, the, 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 the challenge that you've brought up about political parties is a very substantive challenge. It is one of the greatest obstacles right now, standing between America going in the wrong direction and America turning back to the right direction. And it's very discomforting because it's one of these things where nobody feels like they've got their homework done. So you kind of put that pot on and turned it on high for a while, and you you probably surprised some people and um, when you when you said that you are no longer a registered Republican. Well, neither am I. In fact, you know, I'm working today out of the Tennessee office. You well know, your listeners might, might be interested to know that we have three offices now, thanks be to God, for the American Policy Roundtable. And we have a, basically a strategy that runs from the Great Lakes right to the Florida Keys. And I'm in our Tennessee office right now, right in the middle of that power grid of radio networks that we're working on around the country with over 200 stations. Well, um, sitting in Tennessee, I can tell you right now um, that the question that you raised about political parties looks differently all over the country because people feel differently about their party of choice in different parts of the country. But the point that you made about being an independent is so vitally important, and I'm not sure people quite are ready to hear what we're saying. Because I agree with you completely. I'm also a registered independent. Now, it's not required. This is the first time you said that. I didn't know it until you said it on the air. I never asked you. We've worked together for over 20 years. I never asked you what your voter registration was. I still haven't asked you. You told everybody out loud. Yeah, and and I have voted for Democrats, and I and then I became, and I would have been, I guess, because the way it works in Ohio, that I participated in a Democratic primary years ago, so I would have been a Democrat, but then I switched the party affiliation to the Re- Republican Party, and then... I'm guessing it was six years ago, five years ago, somewhere in that time frame that I pulled it and said, I'm done. Well, it's interesting because um, I started in 
working. Of course, we had a small family company in Cleveland, and you know, I, we came up. My mom and dad moved over here uh, from Pittsburgh. Apologies, but I'm glad they got to Cleveland. <laughs> I was raised as a Browns fan, which means I was dropped three times on my head as a child. Um, and uh, because I, I grew up watching the Browns when Jimmy Brown defined what it meant to be a real man and, uh, and a real football player. And, you know, I grew up like an awful lot of kids uh, going through Catholic schools and CYO football and high school scholarships and dreaming of going to Notre Dame someday until the real Rudy showed up. And you found out that, you know, uh, when you get all those hits, you end up getting hurt and you can't play anymore. <laughs> so, so the real story, and of course, Rudy is a true story. I don't know how Sean Aston even got through the practices, let alone Rudy Rudiker actually getting through what he did in life. But, um, I, I, we're from the area. Okay. We get it. We get Cleveland. It's, it's, it's in our blood. Uh, and, and I, it was not popular to vote Republican when I was 18 years old and voted Republican. Now, when I was 18 years old and voted Republican for the first time, um, if you had caught me when I was 16 years old and I could have voted, I would have definitely voted for Democrats because I was right caught up in the whole anti-Vietnam thing. Right? So the point of what I'm trying to get to is I, it wasn't popular to be a Republican when I started being a Republican voting, and it hurt a lot the first time I pulled out of a Republican primary and I voted for a Democrat. And that's the last time I voted on a party slate. That's 1998. Now, you said something. And I voted. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I voted in 1998 in a Democrat primary because Pat Sweeney was running for state senator. And Pat Sweeney was one of only a handful of people that had the courage in the state house to be pro-school choice for all children in Ohio. And he needed my vote, and I was thrilled to give him my vote. So I pulled a Democrat ballot in 1998 and voted for Pat Sweeney. And after that election... I chose to never again participate in the political parties and to become what I consider as a free agent, which is I'll vote for Democrat, Republican, independent. I'll give money to whomever I choose. I will vote for whoever represents principle over party. And I will use my vote strategically to advance the critical issues that can save America. And, and so I will not be beholden to any party. Now, I didn't put that on a big banner. I remember telling our board of trustees what I had done and uh, announcing it to family and other, and it took a while for people to get over that and realize that the shortcut to righteousness in America was not the Republican Party. History has proven that to be true. The shortcut to righteousness is not the Republican Party. Two things that, that jump out at me there from you telling that story is one is Talked about school choice, 1998. School choice is one of the most hotly discussed topics across the country today in various states. So here we are 24 years later, and and it's still with us. But number two, you talked about if you could vote at 16 years old, you were caught up in the anti-Vietnam movement, you would have um, participated and voted for all the Democrats. I think when when I think of young people today, the thing that um, gets to me is if we see maybe they're making a mistake at 16, Instead of a number of folks wanting to help discuss and educate, instead they dismiss or call names. And and I'm like, well, those kids are going to mature and grow up at some point, right? <laughs> Why are we throwing them out? Why are people screaming at them? I mean, I know I was a lost cause at that age. I was a lost cause for a while after that. So I think that's the frustrating part that, that it's become the name-calling it's become the talking down to as people are stupid if you're not in agreement. Well, 
fortunately, both you and I spent some time on the lost side of reality. And by the grace of God, he came looking for us and found us. Um, he wasn't lost. We were. And I think that's made all the difference. And I think that's the kind of people that we work with. We call it the Fellowship of the Broken at the American Policy Roundtable in the public square. Is we all have grown up to the place of knowing that not only do we have the capacity to be wrong, but left to our own devices, we will be wrong almost all the time. And so being surrounded by reality helps. Um, now, when we talk about a shortcut to righteousness, I want a shortcut, too. I, it, what's going on in our country really frightens me. It scares me um, because I'm a student of history. And I realize that cultures can go to the place where the only way back to reality is through death, an extraordinary amount of pain. That death can come by disease. It can come by internal conflict and strife and civil war. It can come from external conflict by being invaded. It can come by natural disaster. There's lots of things that will ultimately bring us back to reality. But um, it is much easier to face the challenges of life anchored in reality than to have to face the challenges of life and be driven back to reality. Um, it, is, it is exponentially more painful. And that's the lesson of history. Um, and we have lost touch with that lesson. I, in spite of how much I am a fan of so many schools in the greater Cleveland area um, and in the state of Ohio, our schools, by and large, are desperately struggling. And some have gone totally over to the other side, uh, to the idea that humans can invent their own reality however they want. And this is not a new thing. Rob, when I went to my first AP history class in the 70s, I opened the book, and the very first chapter and the very first picture was a drawing that was a piece of artwork dedicated to autonomy. The idea being that man fully actualized to be a real man, a real person, a real woman, you had to be autonomous. You were only free when you were completely independent of all other thoughts, all other individuals, and all other relationships. Now, I got to tell you, um, that in and of itself is a staggering idea, but it is the ancient myth. And it's, so this idea of autonomy, that we can live life outside of the, of the historical revelation of God and outside of the reality of nature, making it up as if we can control everything, that's a disaster, Rob. And that's what we fed our children for two generations, and that's why we as a nation are lost. So the shortcut to righteousness is not a political party, because the political parties right now have also descended and devolved into this whole concept of being detached from reality and detached from the truth. So we're in a downward spiral, and we got to turn it around. Yes, and and we have to go to break right now. Can you hang on for one more segment? Because I want to tie. Sure. I want to tie. I'm what... sorry, I'm here till you're done because you know I don't care who else you got on. I'm here now. I'm well, you can you can stick for another segment after the break. We this will we... be your chance to fire me. No, no we have someone coming in later that I think you're going to want to hear. Melanie Elsie is going to come in and talk to us about the state school board later on oh, and what's home happening. Game. You're playing a home I, game. I here, am I without a doubt. I'm going to use my. My friends, the people I rely on, the smartest people in the room definitely aren't me, so I'm going to bring in the people I work with because they are. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
Welcome back. Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate, joined by CEO of the American Policy Roundtable, Dave Zanotti. And Dave, before the break, we we were discussing um, the reality. And in, and in today's society, it seems like we can change reality, or I know we can't, but some believe you can change your reality every single day, what you believe. But I think it's interesting if we tie what they're trying to do today and take a look back at the founders and the founding documents and where they understood ultimate reality came from and what it would take to, to in essence, lay the groundwork for this land, for this new country, this, this idea that was started. Uh, Rob, without the founding, without the founding documents, we have no America. Now, that's the bad news. The good side of it is because America is a set of founding ideas. It means all the other stuff can be still changed by those ideas because ideas have consequences. So we can return to the founding principles, the founding ideas, and find our way back to what truly works. Now, we've had a couple hundred years of experience, and since 1900, so really for the last century, now, plus 22 years, for the last 122 years, we've been trying to run the federal government off a different platform and a different foundation. Uh, we've been trying to run the platform and the foundation off the godless equation propagated by Woodrow Wilson and the progressives, which is to basically say that the autonomy pitch I got my first day in class at AP History at Valley Forge High School in, in Parma, Ohio, that first page was the manifestation of what started in 1900. Now, we've been living that way since then, and what we've got is the mess that we're in. Now, America's never been perfect. America always is supposed to be improved by the purity of the founding ideals, which anchor us in the transcendent reality of the Creator and the transcendent ethic of revealed law, which is called truth. In other words, we don't invent truth. As Americans, we discover truth, and we figure out how to live in the context and the light of truth. The progressives have decided they have a better idea, and that's the flatter of godless equation. Now, you've got to believe sooner or later there's going to be a rebellion against that because of the meaningless that it's, meaninglessness that it produces. And I only hope that rebellion comes soon because it is absolutely absurd. In fact, when you see things like what's going on in the riots and Black Lives Matters and other, while people are abhorred by that and should be by that lawlessness and that violence, we should understand that's just the logical consistency of progressivism playing itself out. Because if man is the victim of time plus chance plus matter and is simply an accident walking on earth, why should anyone care about love of neighbor or the rule of law? Because if all we're here is for a short period of time and then we are extinct into nothingness, there is no eternity. We're just a blob of protoplasm that came together and will disappear. Then why not live like hell on earth? Because what difference does it make? Yeah. You yeah. see, this is what people need to understand is the basis of the battle that we're really in. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour, and I am going to be selfish if it's all right. I'm going to hold you for one more segment after this break because there's one more logical extension I think we can go, and as it applies to us as citizens and the responsibility we have because we're blessed to have a say in those that are serving 
in authority over us. So, so I didn't get fired. I didn't get no, fired. Not yet. Crap. No, no, not, okay. no, not yet. One more segment. I got so. a contract extension. I'll text it to you. <laughs> You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate with you this morning. Joined via phone by Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable. And Dave, we've bounced around a few things. We've talked about reality. We've talked about the founders. I guess my question would be, is how does that apply to each and every one of us today, and what is our obligation, duty, when it comes to the civic process of voting? Hmm. Uh, let's use two words, Rob. Thanks. For, it's a really great question. Let's use the word conscience and the word duty. Uh, so uh, the system of government that we have been given affords us the right to private property. The first and greatest property that we own is that is of our conscience. And so our entire system of government is designed, our whole pilgrimage as a country is based upon conscience. The pilgrims coming here for religious liberty is a question of conscience. The Declaration of Independence is an, is an act of moral agency based upon conscience. The, the, the First Amendment of the, to the United States Constitution talks about the, the right of religious liberty and free speech and association. So we are to protect the conscience. So the first thing we have to do is to rediscover our own and recognize that we are not obligated as Americans to participate in political parties. But we can if we want to. Now, isn't that a contradiction? No. You know, I I know that hosts are never supposed to talk about the commercials that are being played for a bunch of reasons, but but I'm a guest. Uh, In in one of the breaks, we heard uh, an event inviting people to the Republican Party event out in Medina. We know those folks. Those are fine folks. There's nothing wrong with people deciding to organize along a political party because they have the right of free association and the right of conscience. What I would suggest, though, is that a true principled perspective in regards to America is to never put party over principle and to not be fooled into thinking that by dividing up into different camps and simply getting one more vote than the other guy is the way America was designed That's not America. America is designed to be built upon the consent of the governed. And that means you have to get other people to go along with you. That doesn't mean compromise. What it means is intelligence. What it means is that we have to realize that reality intimates we must win the public debate on the value of our cause. Because the the notion of civil government is to protect the rights of Everyone, we must never see, stop seeking to to make the argument for America and to win the public debate based on conscience. And to do that, we have to be above party. So what I would suggest is the true conservatism, but certainly a true biblical approach to this, is to be a moral free agent. Associate wherever you can do the most good. 
run in whatever party you want to run in or run without a party. Vote for whoever you want to vote for, but don't be beholden to any substitutionary or secondary agency. Don't subject your conscience to a position where you have to go in and vote for somebody you simply can't vote for. And Don't buy that. And it seems like we can't even recognize when someone, I'm speaking, I I shouldn't say we because I'm not a member of the party, but it seems like Republicans and Democrats can't give anyone credit on the other side for saying something correctly. I mean, I believe, didn't President Biden call Mike Pence a fine man or something similar to that? And people were outraged in the Democratic Party. They went crazy well, yeah, about him saying and, that. But, and here's the flip side of that record. Mike Pence goes to pay tribute to the fantastic work uh, on Broadway of Hamilton, and he gets exposed, shamed, bullied, yeah. and almost thrown out by the cast. Yeah, it reminds and somehow me. they consider that a noble act. Is, not, is Mike Pence not a human, too? Does he not bleed like everyone else? Well, Did he not pay for the ticket? Yeah, it, it reminds me of long ago. I'm sitting in Three River Stadium watching the Pittsburgh Pirates game. This would have been the early 90s. Jeff Bagwell's playing for the Houston Astros. Sitting there with, with my dad, my brother, my mom. Jeff Bagwell hits a bomb down the left field line. If you remember old Three River Stadium, I mean, it was a massive old stadium. Yeah, I've never been there. Like the vet in Philly, like Riverfront in no, Cincinnati. I've no, never been there. Never been there. <laughs> well, they hit it. They hit it. He hit an upper deck shot. He was hitting second base, and my dad, who's a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan, don't hold that against me, but it, as Bagwell's hitting second base for the Astros, I'm probably 11, 12, 13 years old, my dad's standing up and clapping. And I look at him, and I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, Son, when someone does something remarkable, you always acknowledge it no matter what jersey they're wearing. That's what he told me. When it, and, and that's kind of stuck with me. So when someone does something remarkable that you can appreciate, you stand up and applaud, regardless of what jersey they're wearing. Let's go back to the wonder of America, anchored in the Judeo-Christian ethic of a personal creator who has given us our rights. The state does not give us our rights. Well, how can we boil down that entire 4,000-year ethical proposition of the Old Testament and the 2,000 years of discussion about the New Testament since that time? Pretty simple. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we used to look at each other that way before. And if we can't see each other in the design of Almighty God and seek the common good above political power, we are doomed. I didn't say that. George Washington and John Adams said that. America is supposed to bring us to a level where the common good supersedes political power and gain. And unfortunately, that's not where we are. And so we have to shake ourselves free. Now, there are pockets of really good people doing really good things in the party structures. May God bless them and may they increase. What I'm suggesting is for the vast majority of people in Ohio, the 66% of the people who do not align with either political party and they're facing this election, take a look at the choices and put your best foot forward in regards to seeing who lines up with what you know needs to happen in this country and what you know to be right. Now, there are very few binary choices where this person's really good and that person's awful on that standard, so that's an easy choice. Every now and then, you get one of those, and it makes it a little easier when you do your research and your homework. But a lot of times, you have to really strain to ask which of these people in the seat would be better. So... There are going to be a lot of people who do not vote for Mike DeWine this time around, and I don't blame them at all. 
There are people who say, well, wait a minute, you would never want a Democrat to be governor. You know, if there was a Democrat governor in Ohio, the message would be that Mike DeWine was completely rejected as a COVID tyrant who was wrong on the science at, silent, on the science at every point and refused to listen to anyone, even the people who loved him, who tried to give him better information. He walled himself into a city of himself, and that's a dangerous position for a leader to ever be in. He defied his own party. He's defied his legislature three times. He defied the people of Ohio. That guy shouldn't be in office anymore. But there's going to be people that are going to go vote for him because they they, they convinced that the other alternative would be worse. Neither should be criticized. Vote your conscience. Couldn't say it better myself. I agree wholeheartedly. And when we talk to people, some people, Dave, say, and we hear this sometimes in the church, well, I'm just not going to participate. I'm not going to vote. And I try to explain to them two things. One, if you love your neighbor, then you care who serves in authority over your neighbor. We have to take part in the process. And two, the people in charge, the people that are serving now, they want you to stay home. The reason they want you to stay home is because nothing changes the more that people stay home. Rob, one of the toughest votes I ever had to place was the time that I voted to not uh, not vote for my friend George Warnovich. George Warnovich and I were friends till the day he died, and we did a lot of great things together. And we had a we, we really had a great run in trying to do the right thing in civil government in lots of levels. But George Warnovich got some boneheaded ideas in his head every now and then. And we had some pretty strong shout and match arguments, and and uh, at one point in time. You have lost him. Well, there. we we lost him. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, we lost yeah, you for I'm a here. second, DZ. That's all right. Um, uh, so I was, t- I was talking about the fact that one of the hardest times I ever had was the year I didn't vote for my friend George Horn- George Hornovich. And George and I worked for years together on a lot of great things. The roundtable was a great ally to, to um, many of the policy issues that George advocated. He was a good man, did a lot of good stuff, but he had a stupid idea about a tax. He brought it to the people illegally. Uh, put it on the ballot, and I, I, I didn't vote for him, and it hurt. And, but I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, well, and that happens. I, well, I, was, I do smile thinking about George Voinovich because when I think about George Voinovich, I do think about the most exclusive club in the world, the Club of 100, but I give thanks. George Voinovich didn't really care if he got any of the credit for the stuff that was done there. He just wanted it done the right way. And But like you said, there was a boneheaded idea or two, and that's when you have to stand up and talk to your friends about it, correct? Well, and we ran a statewide campaign against him and defeated that ballot initiative that should have never been on the ballot in the first place. And I'll tell you right now, the biggest attack we got from was Republican leadership. I mean, I got screamed at by Republican leaders on the how dare you. Well, the how dare you is this. The rule of law applies to Republicans and Democrats alike. If you break the law, we're not going to support you. Kind of simple. If we had a dollar for every time we got screamed at by Republican leadership, just <laughs> Just get in line and join the parade, Rob. Stop raising your voice. They're better than the other guys. How many times have we heard that? So, well, DZ, I... You know what, Rob? In some some places, they are better than the other guys. So we're not telling anybody who to vote for. Right, yes. Vote vote your conscience. Vote your conscience and and let it be your guide. I mean, it's a Jiminy Cricket party, okay? Yes, yes. And and you you can learn about each and every candidate in all 50 states by visiting ivoters.com. Do the research, share with your friends. That's a service at the American Policy Roundtable because we don't want to tell people who to vote for or how to vote. 
We just want to provide them with an information and resource so they can be educated before voters step into the voting booth. Well, if men were perfect, we'd need no laws, but men aren't perfect, right? That's the reality. Madison said if they were angels, but we're not angels. Hey, you got Melanie coming on. You're going to talk about what's going on. I got Melanie coming on. She's going to give us a rundown of the state school board meeting. It it started this morning. Um, Public participation starts at around 1 o'clock. I'm texting with Lisa Woods during the show. She's like, I keep turning the radio off to watch the school board meeting. Then I come back to you and Dave, and then I do. So, yes, there's a lot of people paying attention. We're going to have Melanie Give us an in-depth look at the resolution, what it means. I know there's some court cases that are happening. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But big thanks to you, Dave, for taking time out of your day to join us. Next time, we'll make sure you're here in studio uh, studio with me, and we'll tag team and do it together. Thank you, Rob. Melanie's in the bullpen. You don't want to miss what's going on in Columbus next, right? That's right. There's a lot of work to be done. Thanks for all you do at the roundtable in the public square. Talk to you later this afternoon. Thanks, Rob. Oh. Dave Zanotti, fortunate enough to work with him. He's my boss. He's so when, awesome. He, when I have, he's my boss. So, um, as he said, it's hard to believe he and I have worked together for for twenty years. Wow. Anyway, always right radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Welcome back, Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in for Bob France Day. Huge thanks to Dave Zanotti for joining us. And uh, always a fun discussion when DZ is on air. And it's always a good time when he and I get to chat together on the radio, which we do often. You can hear us at thepublicsquare.com. He referenced Melanie Elsie, and Melanie will be joining me after the 11 o'clock break, and we'll talk about what's happening in the State Board of Education in Ohio. I'm going to give a little little rundown now. You know, we talked about iVoters.com, and if you enter your address and zip code, up pops the address or the um, name, their, their image, their website, their social media profiles for people running in your area. And we also have the state school board on there. If you have a state school board candidate that's running in your area, their information will be on iVoters.com. And and again, I know I mentioned earlier in the show, we can become distracted by what's happening in Washington. We can get caught up in the race for the House. We can get caught up in the race for the United States Senate. We can get caught up in the White House and who's the president of the United States. But there are people making decisions each and every day that impact us, and we have to understand what's happening in our community. So in Ohio, the structure, and I apologize if this is a refresher, but I do think this is important to know. In Ohio, our structure of government, we have 99 state reps. So the state of Ohio is, in essence, carved into 99 districts, and those are state representatives. And I believe each one represents roughly... 110, 120,000 people, somewhere in that. Now, I know there's been a lot of fights about maps, how those districts are drawn, court cases, litigation, and this being a census year, it's been worse than ever. And the maps that we have may not even last past this year. But from a state perspective, we have 99 state representatives. Every three 
state representative districts then make up one Senate district, one state Senate district. So we have 99 state reps. We have 33 state senators. Then we'll go one step further. All three, or let me rephrase. I don't have Alan C. Duncan, editor of the Public Square Radio Program. We we record a lot of our stuff, so it's not live. So I can say rephrase or edit, and he, he chops it and fixes it. But live radio, I understand, works a little different here, Johnny. I don't know if we can edit that, but we'll do our best. So 33 state Senate seats. For every three state Senate districts, there is one state school board seat that's elected. So there's 11 members of the Ohio State Board of Education. And this year in the state of Ohio, District 2, District 3, District 4, District 9, and District 10 are up for election. So if you live in the Senator House districts that make up the respective state school board districts, you're going to vote for a member of your state board of education. Now, the state board of education, I believe, has 19 members. 11 of them are elected. Eight of them are appointed. Personal opinion, I'm not a fan of appointed members to the state board of education. I think we work best as a society when we have a say in what goes on. That's the way the republic was set up. Notice, the republic was set up. The republic was constructed, not a democracy. We were warned by the founders about democracies. We were told it was a republic. And the reason for that is the founders understood what mob rule would look like if it was a straight democracy. So that's a little bit of a setup on how you have representation at the State Board of Education. 11 elected members of the state board, 33 state senators, 99 state representatives. I apologize for the seventh grade Ohio history lesson, but sometimes I think it's important that we know this, that we understand who serves in Columbus before us, because we can name so much stuff about Washington and what happens in the nation's capital. But yet so many of the decisions that are made are made right here. And the people that are running for these seats truly are our neighbors. And sometimes we need to do a better job of going out and recruiting other neighbors to run for those offices locally. After the break, I'll be joined by American Policy Roundtable National Legislative Director Melanie Elsie. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? 
Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in this morning for Bob Frantz. And oh, we've had an action-packed two hours, Johnny. Good stuff, good stuff. Good stuff. We have more good stuff around the corner. Joining us earlier was Dave Zanotti from the American Policy Roundtable. Now we have Melanie Elzey, National Legislative Director from the American Policy Roundtable and someone who has been heavily involved with issues in front of the Ohio State Board of Education. For Melanie, I don't want to get the years wrong. How many years? (laughs) Oh, probably been 28 or 30, somewhere in there. 28 or 30 attending state board of education meetings in Columbus. And one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize, and I talked about before the break at the top of the hour, is the fact that as Ohioans, we have a say who serves on the state board of education in Ohio. Oh, that's exactly right. Um, We've got uh, a hybrid board in structure You've got eight appointed by the governor. You have 11 elected. Those 11 seats are matched to every three Senate district seats, so it's geographically bound to the state Senate districts. Um, and half of the elected members are up every two years to be reelected. So yeah, I, I talked five, about five members are up this week. We talked about visiting month. iVoters.com and getting the information on the state school board members. There's a lot of attention being paid to what's happening down there today. I know the state school board meeting started early this morning. I know the public participation, I believe, starts around 1 p.m. after lunch. Um, Walk us through what – there's 27 things I think they're voting on today, but there's one that has gotten the attention of everyone. Can you walk us through what that resolution is, what it looks like, and where the blowback is coming from? Sure. Um, It was not – um, a resolution that was brought by the Department of Education. It was brought by a board member, and it was actually introduced to the board um, last month because there's an automatic 30-day wait before the board can even discuss it. So it was dropped last month. This month they're discussing and voting on it. It's not a rule change. It's a sort of a position statement. Um, the concept um, is that they the board would like to... Um, submit letters from the Department of Education to all the local superintendents, and they would like to direct the General Assembly, encourage General Assembly to take four specific actions, and all of it surrounds regulations that have been promulgated by the Federal Department of Education and the Federal Department of Agriculture on, um, on federal dollars that would flow to schools. Department of Agriculture is the school lunch money and breakfast money, um, and then the Department of Education has all the other types of federal funding into schools. 
And this this original they, discussion comes revolves around Title IX, does it not? Right. Both both sets of regulations that on those federal agencies are changing the 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 practice and intent of the federal law, Title IX, through the regulatory process on how that was interpreted. So what's happening is those two federal agencies are bringing in the um, transgender, the LGBTQI um, uh, perspective to define to defining gender. So long story short, there's a, there's several whereas clauses where they, the Brandon Shea is the board member who brought this resolution to the board, and he basically is saying the concept of education rests on objective facts. Biological sex is, is an objective fact. Fact, um, human male, XY chromosome, human female, um, two X chromosomes, et cetera, et cetera. These are signed at birth and not up for interpretation. Um, in terms of genetically who that person is. And to bring all of the transgender issues in K-12 um, to where um, schools would lose federal dollars if teachers in public or private schools who get federal dollars um, don't acquiesce to, to that agenda. Um, so it's basically the board is taking a position they are agreeing in the context of this resolution with the lawsuit that's been filed by 21 states, including Ohio. Ohio is one of the filing states. Um, Tennessee and Indiana, I believe, are in the lead on that lawsuit, um, where they are challenging the, these regulations and basically saying they're not constitutional. They don't even comply with or are consistent with the original law, the way the law is set out. So uh, President Obama breached this wall, I think it was back in 2012 or 2013, when he set out guidance um, through the Department of Education on the use of locker rooms and bathrooms in schools. I don't know if you remember all of that. Oh, yeah, I remember it well. Discussion. Um, and basically in the language of his guidance, it was not just kids who are saying, um, I, I think I'm a different gender. It, it was that language was um, if you it could be like you feel like you're a different gender for the day. It wasn't even right. Like, it, it, it was it was a perception that was more temporary. <laughs> right. Dave and I talked the last hour about reality, and the unfortunate part is we're allowing these children to create their own reality, and that reality can change every single day. And right. that's a scary thing. And when I read some of the parts about the resolution. Um, and the encouragement of the legislature, what they're asking them to do, I mean, prohibit transgender and gender nonconforming youth from playing on women's sports teams. I, I, it amazes me that that is such a hot topic that people are advocating for, that I guess progressive females are advocating for biological men to play on women's sports teams. Like, I... And, and that's really only one piece because you have a, a limited number of uh, in the student population who would be participating in sports. Right. This would affect students. It would not allow schools to make their own decisions on the use of bathrooms, for example, or the use of locker rooms when they're changing for gym class. Um, it, there's a safety issue here, 
and really a morality issue here for to, to protect females. Um, right. For the most well, part, it's not. It's mostly that the guys who who are claiming I'm female for the day or the week or whatever length of time being um, pushing the fact that they they can and the school can't say no to them going and changing clothes in the locker room with the girls um, prior to a gym, a gym class or an after-school sporting well, and, event, or et cetera. And I'm reading prohibit instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten to third grade. I mean, what, what's so difficult about that? Do we need to be talking about sexual orientation and gender identity, kindergarten through third grade? I mean, it, that has folks up in arms. If you want to have that discussion with kindergarten through third graders, if you're adamant about having it, then I have a few more questions for you. I mean, as the teacher. I even have questions about beyond third grade, but if if we've already been through this, all 50 states have have been through, um, and this has been mm, 20 years ago or more, where the CDC put out curriculum in all 50 states that wanted um, K-12 condom instruction, for example. Those those model curricula went out. Ohio was the only state that said no at the time. Five years later, Utah said no, but all of the other states moved forward. So here we are, 20 years later. It's not just um, you know AIDS instruction and and uh, contraceptive instruction K-12. It is, um, and that's those are in state policies throughout the country. Yep. We now have to move into the LGBTQ um, th- their whole agenda of social transformation in the classroom and beyond. Now, as we get to the resolution, is is it a good is it good or bad? The resolution is well written. Um, the reality is that um, we you there's not going to be a majority on the board that supports the resolution that we just don't have uh, out of out of the 19 members there are not enough you'd have to have 10 members vote yes, and that's, that probably is not likely. So you don't anticipate that happening this afternoon? I don't anticipate it passing as introduced. What I anticipate happening, and I'm not sure how this will play out yet, um, I, I anticipate that there will be motions made by board members to modify the resolution. Um, so what is getting a final vote today may not be exactly what was introduced. But until they make those suggestions modifications, I'm not sure what what to specify at this point in the day what that will look like. Well, we talked about the state school board's made up of elected eleven elected members, eight appointed members. My question is, if it was just the eleven elected members, would the resolution pass? Yes. Yeah. I'm. If, I'm if, so so if, there. If there's a point to where, if the people had only representing them, the people they had direct representation from, the resolution would pass. But the eight appointed members are where those swing votes are coming from. It's the one that the bureaucrats have put on the board that are... By Republican governors. By Republican governors that are clogging the process. So, well, Melanie, I appreciate you taking the time explaining it to us. I know folks are going to be glued in to their computers after one o'clock today, as the the public portion of the meeting begins and takes place, and I anticipate today's going to go well into the night, as they will have a lot of witnesses, a lot of people providing testimony on this issue. Yes, Robin. If and, and if I could give the website, if they go to ohiochannel.org, 
it will have a spot to click on for the live State Board of Education. I'm, it, it's like watching paint dry, you know, for most of the board mem- most of the board meeting and all the things that they deliberate. And there might be quite a few witnesses on this one issue. It is item 27, so it is the last item on the agenda. Um, so, so it doesn't mean they're going to hear witnesses on this item at one o'clock. It'll be a little bit after that. All right, Melanie, thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for the work that you do at the American Policy Roundtable. I look forward to talking with you soon. Okay, thank you. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio, Two plus. on The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in the chair today for Bob France. Thank you to Melanie Elzey joining us from the American Policy Roundtable. There's so much stuff that's happening when it comes to elected officials, when it comes to public office that we need to know about and be involved in. And I appreciate Melanie um, giving us a look inside the room. She talked about attending state school board education, state board of education meetings for 28, 30 years. It, it, we need to be there. It's, sometimes it's painful to be in the room, but um, we definitely need to be there. Um, I know we have a caller that wants to talk about the state school board. Todd, he's on line one. Let's go to Todd. Good morning, Todd. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rob. I was paying close attention to the conversation with you and Melody, and I'm going to tune in. So I'm, I'm grateful that she was on the air today. This matter would not be so much of an issue inside the school system, various school systems around the country, if we would just accept the findings of human cellular biology. I often hear this com- I often hear this topic discussed about people that are actually gender maskers, but we often call them transgender, but they're actually gender maskers. And that's not a derogatory term. And people don't get into the cellular biology of it. They get into what the products that are induced into those people's bodies and um, how it's it's given an imagery that is just that, imagery. And if we just discussed it from the level of human cellular biology, then the problem would go away and get more people to accept the accurate assessment of facts, which is they've masked their gender. They are not changed their gender. Your overwhelming cellular makeup is what makes your gender, not just a few alterations that may or may not have been through um, induced chemicals and hormones. And it's unfortunate. So I will be tuned in. I will be tuned in. But we need to get away from that term, embracing that term, and embrace the term gender masking. And in addition to that, in closing, if we had compulsory civics in the taxpayer-funded neighborhood public schools, grades 3 through 12, two years municipal, two years county, two years state, and the rest federal, a lot of this would go away because people would have a better understanding of what the actual functions of government are, including the school system, and they would be more focused on that than accommodating unnecessary pursuits of people's egos. Well, Todd, I appreciate the call. Thanks for listening. I will say, uh, as far as the mandatory teaching of civics or encouraging civics, 
I want to see that taught. I want people to understand the history of it, both mistakes that have been made throughout history and how we can learn from those mistakes and how uh, public service works, how it works when we elect someone to represent us. And I'm, I'm extremely happy to have the conversation when it comes to education. What is the role of education? Let's talk about the beginning of education. Let's talk about where school started and who was involved in creating that. Now it seems like the curriculum when it comes to education has been hijacked by one political party, party, especially when it comes to the public system. And that's why you see um, an outcry from parents regarding what's being taught in the schools. We saw that, I think, from a national perspective. We saw that looking at Virginia and what happened at Virginia over the past two years. Yunkin, right? Glenn Yunkin. Glenn Yunkin, someone who... Came in, he he listened to parents, but Glenn Youngkin, what a masterful campaign as well, because he he kept Donald Trump at arm's length. I mean, Donald Trump was kept at arm's length from Glenn Youngkin. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do, but he knew if he wanted to win Virginia, that was the best way to do it, and he, he kept him at a distance for sure. But it highlighted the fact of parents being engaged and involved in what's happening in the classroom, and... I think that was evident when kids were sent home to learn during COVID. Parents started looking over their kid's shoulder. They started saying, wait a minute, tell me about that lesson. What did the teacher just say? And that's where the involvement came from. And you heard Dave Zanotti mention school choice, that fight back in 1998 when it was embraced by someone from the Democrat Party. It's become, unfortunately, a talking point between R's and D's today where Republicans are more likely to favor money following the child and having the parents have a direct say in where their kid goes to school and not have it based upon the zip code in which they live and some of those families being stuck in failing schools just because they live in a community that can't provide an education for their child. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in this morning, and that two and a half hours went fast. It goes by quick. <laughs> it, does, it does go by quick. I'm looking at all my notes. Uh, we got to some of the stuff we want to discuss, but uh, very thankful to have Dave Zanotti, Melanie Elsie join us this morning, get to some very important important topics and issues and it's always a pleasure for me to get to hear them i'm blessed enough to call them colleagues and and work alongside them so thanks to both of you for joining us um the phones we still want to get to some callers we have bj in north olmstead good morning bj good morning and thank you for taking my call uh i'd like to make a couple comments about donald trump that i think has been misunderstood 
Donald Trump vocalizes an awful lot about a lot of things, but I think he was trying to stimulate the American public to wake up and express themselves. And I'm hearing more people expressing themselves, the regular callers and what have you. So I don't think he was just being mouthy for his own benefit or his own sake. I think he's a businessman. He's done very well, self-made man. And I thought he did a remarkable job as a president doing it as a businessman, not as a politician. He was disliked because he wasn't a politician. He wasn't part of the game. He knew the game, well, and he expressed that. I, I, I would say I hear you. I would say he could get people engaged and involved without being mean to people. And again, hurting people's feelings, that's going to happen. Um, he, he wasn't a politician. I think he came on at the perfect time. It was the perfect storm. He did a lot of amazing things that were beneficial to the country. I I will give you that. Um, I'm I'm not going to argue with that. Do I agree with all the decisions he make? Everything he says? No, I don't. I think he spent with I, I think he spent with reckless abandonment <laughs> in many instances. He he spent a little too much, but um, he proved the point that an outsider could come in and have an impact and make a difference. I still remember on the stage. Uh, now, here's the problem. BJ, I'm going to say I remember, and then someone's going to go in and YouTube it and see if I remembered it accurately. I already, I, I already YouTubed and made sure that that Bagwell home run I was talking about happened May 5th, 1991. So I already looked it up. I said I was 13. I was wrong. I was 14. So anyway, so I remember when they asked you know, all the candidates if they would support the Republican nominee, no matter who it was. There was only one person that had the courage to say, no, I'm not going to say that that I won't do that or run as an independent or be involved as an outsider. Donald Trump was willing to say that and stand up for it. The others were just willing to stand up there and bash each other and then be like, oh, but I really don't mean it. I'm just trying to get the job. I'm going to step on your head, but I don't mean it. If I don't win, I'm going to support you. That, that, that makes no sense to me. So um, Trump gets a bad rap. I think he brings a lot of it on himself for the way he acts his attitude, behavior. But here's the thing, BJ. I don't think Donald Trump cares. I don't I don't think he cares. I think we'll have a better idea of what's happening with him and if he does care in the next 8 to 12 to 16 months to see how he reacts as it moves towards 2024. That that's what I think. I think your I think your point is well taken, but I do think it was an awakening for the American public. If you look at the politicians, they're attacking each other. They talk about wanting to have peace and get along and do things for the American public. But the political people, the professional political people, are in it to agitate. And uh, they don't seem to be aware truly of what the American public wants. And I think what the American public wants what it's always wanted, the freedom to live and work and be prosperous in this country. I think, I thank goodness, thank God. More people love this country that don't that don't love this country, and I happen to be one. I'm going to be 92 on October 26th, and I love this country as much as I ever could. And I pray for the American public to wake up and realize what a gift of living in America really is. And I thank you for your time. Oh, BJ, thank you, and happy early birthday. And um, wow, you know, one of the things you talk about the blessing that is. Show me the place where it's worked. 
Wow. I didn't even get to a lot of the stuff today, Johnny, that I wanted to get to. I will leave with this in the last minute of the show. I'm going to leave with this. For the folks out there that say every vote doesn't matter, my vote doesn't matter, John Fetterman, we didn't talk about John Fetterman at all, running for Senate in the state of Pennsylvania. John Fetterman was elected mayor in 2005 of a small town, Braddock, Pennsylvania. He won that race, 149 votes to 148. He won by one vote. He won by one vote. All votes cast 425. That's all that was cast. So every vote matters. Be not overcome by evil. Overcome evil by doing good. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.